Welcome, welcome, all of you meatheads, muscle nerds, fitness fanatics, organ meat lovers. Maybe that last one's just me, but welcome all, all of you to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm so happy to be here. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. You're my guests. Thank you. Thank you for being here and sticking around. Today's guest, super pumped. Her name is Bree Van Scotter. She is the woman behind Wilderness to Table, and she is, in my opinion, a true Renaissance woman. I'm so impressed and inspired by her and the work she does. She is a professional chef. She's also a hunter, a fisherwoman, a spear fisher, a professional photographer. So she not only makes amazing food, but she takes beautiful pictures of them. If you check out her website and her Instagram, she has her own cooking show. She's just dedicated to teaching people about making, enjoying, and also sourcing delicious and healthy food. And I knew we would be friends immediately when she said something in this interview along the lines of, I'm a secret mermaid. And I was like, did we just become best friends? Anyway, she's amazing. (laughs) And I was also selfishly interested in speaking with Brie about her work and her journey to becoming a sort of really self-sustained food maker through things like harvesting and hunting. Because as someone who is personally very interested in the quality and sourcing of my food, And someone who is taking steps right now to start learning about hunting with the hopes of kind of venturing into that this summer and fall, if things go well, I wanted to speak to a woman who has this kind of experience about what it's like to really harvest animals, butcher animals, and what this process teaches us about life and humanity and the importance of honoring our food and not being wasteful. And I really think this is an important conversation for us to have and for everyone to hear, no matter where you fall on the omnivore spectrum. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to hunt and butcher their own food. But the reality is, things are always dying to allow other things to live, no matter how you eat. And how we can participate in this cycle in the most ethical and sustainable and healthy way is a really, really important conversation to have. And that's really the most concise way I think I can put this. And I think it, it really truly applies to vegans and carnivores alike and everyone in between. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode. And just a quick reminder that since this podcast is new, this iteration of the podcast is new, it's incredibly important that I get your feedback and support. Reviews are literally what keep the podcast afloat. You don't have to pay for the service, but maybe your payment is essentially just having a voice and telling other people that you think this podcast is valuable. And the most effective way to do that really, truly, is to leave an Apple podcast review. It takes two minutes. If you don't know how to do it, reach out to me and I'll, I'll show you how. But if you enjoy this episode, please do that for me and tag me on social media at The Muscle Maven. Send me your feedback, good, bad, everything in between, because I care and I want to make this better. So do that. Share it, and let's grow this thing together, okay? All right, on that note, here is my interview with Secret Mermaid, coolest woman around, my new BFF, Brie Van Scotter. All right, Brie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I'm so excited. I have so many questions to ask you. First one being, because I noticed we both have Van in our last name, is that Dutch? (laughs) It's Dutch. Okay, yeah. good. So we've got so much in common already. Right? I'm, I'm Dutch by name only. I'm like, I'm super short. So that's not very Dutch. And I think it's only just, okay, good. All right, good. So there you go. <laughs> so I don't feel so left out. I feel like every Dutch person I know is like this beautiful statuesque, like 5'10 or taller. And I, that's not me. So I try my best. With well, the it's actually out. my husband's name. And he's mm-hmm. actually only like 5'9". So he's not even that oh, tall. Good. And he's the Dutch one. Okay. I'm actually half Mexican and half Irish. Okay. With a Dutch last name and a Korean kid. It's just... (laughs) Okay, I've got all kinds of things to talk about already. This is amazing. (laughs) Okay. All right. So now that we've got that out of the way, before we kind of dive into a lot of the things that I'm really interested in, your work and and how you got there and the, the hunting and the harvesting and sort of the whole brand you've built around the incredible food that you make, I would love for you to just talk to our listeners and just sort of introduce yourself and tell them who you are and how you got to where you are now. So I'm Brie Van Scotter. I'm creator of Wilderness to Table. I have, I wanted to be a chef ever since I was a little kid. I remember being in the car with my dad and I said, I want to go to like culinary school. I was like a senior in high school. He's like, no, you need to get a real degree. I went to college. I got two real degrees. (laughs) And then worked in a cubicle and absolutely hated it. And then I got a part-time job 
in the kitchen, in a restaurant, in the kitchen doing pastry. Mm -hmm. And I was just the happiest person ever. Then I decided to go full force and go to culinary school. So I went to the Culinary Institute of America in Napa, California and graduated like top of my class. And then while I was there, I at an event I was working at, I had met a chicken farmer. It all started with this chicken farmer. <laughs> I became friends with him. He's like, you should come to the farm. And it was literally like I could walk from my apartment to this chicken farm. And so the next day I found myself at this chicken farm and he goes, yeah, you want to raise some chickens? So he he raised organic free range chickens, like completely in beautiful Napa. I mean, it was gorgeous. And so I was like, yeah, I do. He gave me eggs. I put that we had them in the incubator. I literally like would go and turn the eggs and then soon my eggs hatched. And then I would every day after school, I was on the farm, like rotating them on different pastures. That's how organic they were. And then I had to process my own chicken mm-hmm. and my baby that I grew to love so much. And I'm a huge animal lover. For, so for me, so I was, he didn't take any part in it. So it was completely me. I harvested and, and went home and cooked. It was a hard day. I was crying a little bit, but I thought, you know, if I need to pay respect to these animals and if I had my hands on them since the beginning, I need to have only my hands on from the end. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where my hunting background came from. It started with those little chickens. And then that night I had slaughtered my own chickens and then was in my apartment by myself And I just made a roast chicken. I made a whole roast chicken, just beautiful. And it was the best chicken I've ever had, like, in my entire life. And I sat there on my floor in the kitchen, kind of crying. (laughs) So delicious. (laughs) And and then I was like, wow, this is a pretty amazing thing. And it's something that society forgets. We kind of forget that our food had a face. And we kind of take it for granted, which I don't like. So then I did some food development for product development later on in my career for like grocery stores and everything that led me to go see factory farms. And I just was in shock coming from having knowing what it was like to raise my own chickens and everything like this is not how they should be. This is not how they should be treated. And I was just like, well, I'm gonna go harvest it myself. So I'm from Southern California. And that is definitely not the culture, (laughs) not hunting. It's not a hunting culture. And then decided to just go out and harvest myself. And I got a bow, moved to Georgia, got a bow. And six months later, I was on opening day and I got my first doe. So it was... So you started with bow hunting? You didn't even... Yes. Wow. So you just went like zero to a hundred. Yeah, well, I did like wing shooting in California with my dad every so often, but I was a big spear fisher in California. Mm-hmm. My dad's a professional saltwater bass angler, and you know, because I have to make it more challenging because <laughs> I'm secretly a mermaid, I wanted to go down and dive with the fish. That's what my dad said. He's like, you're making it more harder than it is. But to me, it's the most sustainable form of fishing, whereas I'm not having it. There's no bycatch. I'm not putting fish in terror and if you catch a shark for to say like if you catch a little shark and you're reeling him in on a pole that shark is like getting stressed yeah and oh and what people don't know is when you fish and you pull in a shark well when you release him he may go down but he has an 80 percent chance of survival rate but with spear fishing i know exactly what i'm taking and i'm not putting any other creatures at harm so that's where it started in california and like go lobstering and and stuff like that but you know a deer is a little different (laughs) absolutely okay i have so many questions already that i just want to stop you and kind of rewind a little bit and then we'll continue on because there's just so much and so much that i'm really personally interested in i think that one of the selfish things about having a podcast i really do this i try to get really great intelligent awesome people on the podcast to help the people who are listening, but it's also because I'm really interested, like I'm really interested in the work that you do. And I, in my own journey about learning about nutrition, and I'm, I'm working on a cookbook as well, and all of these things, I'm becoming increasingly more interested in being really hands on with the process in terms of learning how to hunt and learning how to process and harvest and things like that. And not because I'm super pumped about the idea of obviously killing an animal. I don't think too right. many people really are. And I really want to dive into that conversation a little bit more about how you are an animal lover. You cared about these animals that you took care of. This was a difficult thing for you, but there's also this element of 
the work that you're doing is respecting the animal. And I think that that's something that some people who are afraid of this process or just unsure of it or right. just pr prefer to kind of distance themselves from it have a hard time understanding that part that you can, and in most cases should, of course, the people who are farmers and taking care of these animals too, love these animals. And that's why right. they are doing it the way that they're doing it. So, I mean, how was that process for you the first time when you were harvesting, processing your chickens. Walk us through that a little bit. Like, first of all, was the, the individual, was he like, he kind of walked you through it? Did he teach you? Like, how did you learn so that you were confident in what you were doing? Yeah, I mean, he showed me prior okay. to it. The only thing, the questions I had before I had really started was, I want to do it in least pain possible. Don't make me do it wrong and have the animal suffer. I want to know what not to do. So I could do that perfectly because that even when I hunt, if I can't get a good shot, I am not going to take it because the last thing I want is that animal to suffer. My whole goal is lights yes. out. That's it. You know what I mean? So he taught me and showed me. And so there are, it's like you slice the neck and you don't go all the way and you have to let it bleed out. So it's chickens are kind of easy, easier than deer. But so my mom is like a huge animal rights activist. So growing up, you have to understand that we had like two horses in our backyard, six dogs, like seven rabbits, like the whole thing. I grew up with a little mini zoo. So I still love animals. So it was very difficult at first, but the chef in me, because I was a trained chef and I, I appreciate good food and the chef in me almost like took over and was like, okay, let's do this quick, easy and make the best food possible. So I think without that chef training, it probably would have been much more difficult. Yeah. Okay. Cause you're kind um, of, you're seeing it more as like, this is a step in the process of, of food creation, really, you know, you kind of right. have to, yeah. Okay. It's like a respectful thing. I feel as a chef, why can't I buy meat from a butcher, but I can't, I don't have the guts to do it myself. So I should be able to step up and say, I can do this all by myself. So yeah. when I was actually working in Napa, I worked at a restaurant and I had to butcher a whole cow <laughs> because they raised their own cow. <laughs> it took me a couple days. <laughs> yeah, that's a big animal. That's a lot of work. Yeah, but you appreciate it and you appreciate how that animal's grown and where they were grown and the people who had hands on it. I mean, it, you just appreciate your food so much more. So thus in the cooking process, don't mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like a piece of lettuce that you drop on the floor. Like don't treat it. You yeah. treat it with respect, even in the pan. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of like my philosophy. I love that. Did you grow up eating meat? Like with your mom being an animal rights activist? Oh did yeah, you? we okay. did. Okay. Uh -huh. we so did. This, this wasn't just... like a, you know, she's a vegan. And when you went into this line of work, she was horrified. She was okay. Okay with it? Yeah, it was, okay. it was okay. No, I grew up eating meat. Not you know, it was fine, but they never associated it with a face. Right. If that made sense. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, do you do you know an individual that she's she's on social media, but her her handle is called Slow Down Farmstead. Her name's Tara Couture. If no. not, I would love to kind of connect you. I think that you two obviously would get along very well. She and her husband and her family they run their own farm and she practices regenerative and ethical and sustainable farming practices. She's super, super articulate in the way that she communicates some of the things that we're talking about right now in terms of in her home, she raises at this point, I think she's only ra really raising animals to support her family. And then maybe a little bit of extra. She did have a bigger farm before, but she's like, we name these animals. Like we live yep. with them. Like we, you know, and I think that's an even hard, another step that's hard for people. They're like, okay, it's one thing for you to raise them and then you harvest them and it's fine. But she cares about these animals and you still recognize that they're not your pet and they're not necessarily your friend, but they are a sentient being that deserves a good life and then a right. quick and painless death to support right. the life cycle that we're creating here, right? And it's really, I mean, it's some some of it is kind of difficult to get your head around and to read and to think. And she posts some stuff about during the slaughter process. And, you know, in these days of the weird censorship that can happen on social media, I'm like, yep. I'm waiting for the day that she gets shut down or something. But do you get any of that kind of backlash with the work that you do? Or do you find that the people who are connecting with you are generally more or less at least open-minded to the concepts that you're talking about 
So I actually took down a lot of butchering photos, so to speak. So my Instagram philosophy, I, I've been bashed. Either way I go, I kind of get bashed. I can't appease everybody. Yeah. My philosophy is the trophy is not the kill shot. The trophy is not me standing behind an animal that I just harvested. That is not the trophy to me. The trophy is on my table. I show it in the meals I cook. But then like fellow hunters in this industry are like, oh, you're not a real hunter. You, didn't, you don't even post the things. I'm like... But is it really nice to do that to an animal? Is it really respectful to post with a dead animal? Yeah. That's what essentially it is, is that just for an Instagram like, I feel like that animal is going on to live in me and is giving me nourishment and me life. I should be as respectful as I can. So I don't post many yeah, the trophy shot. Yeah. Yeah, because I believe my whole thing with Wilderness and Table is the trophy is on my table. The trophy is feeding me and nourishing me. And, and it's about self-harvesting and creating beautiful dishes. And I've gotten back, you know, it, so generally that population of my Instagram have taken it really well and really kind of get it. And when they get it, I just like absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm trying to be the next huntress. That's not what I'm out to be. I'm just a person, a chef who is out harvesting my own meat. If I have a freezer full of meat, I don't go hunting. Yeah. Like, I don't need to take more than I do. So, yes, people have been following me for the good, and then, yeah, there's, there's wackadoos yeah. everywhere. <laughs> That's very true. That's a very great <laughs> description of the internet, I think. But I, I hear what you're saying, too, because as I'm getting more into this, I'm watching, like, sort of the Steve Ranellas of the world. He's got that show on Netflix and stuff, and I think he does things in a very measured, intelligent, kind of accessible way. But I do sort of still kind of have that same feeling where when I see somebody who's just kind of posting with the dead animal. I'm like, that's more of that like trophy hunting kind of concept rather than like, what are we really here for? So I kind of do, even if that's not the case, it can be sort of how it's perceived, I think sometimes. So I do get that. Okay, so back to the hunting part of this, because I'm so interested in it. So you decided that you were going to learn bow hunting and just get out Mm -hmm. there and start harvesting your own meat. What kind of training process was that for you you had to go take some bow hunting courses did you have to take a hunting course how did that work i went online took my hunter's education did that and then i found a local bow shop actually mm-hmm. and then i kind of just asked them what to do and then i was at the shop and i ordered my bow there and then they hooked me up they got my weight they my draw weight they helped me show me how to increase actually use fitness a lot to increase my draw weight because the heavier draw you have, the faster that arrow is going to go in. And so that's what I want. And I wanted to like hurt them and slowly bleed out. So the, my local bow shop actually helped me out a lot, set up a target like in my backyard and I would literally shoot 50 arrows a day. And then that's what prep, I mean, that's repetition. Repetition is how I did it. And then boom, I got my first doe on opening day on my very first hunt. That's crazy. Who did you go hunting with? I was out hunting. We were a membership. We were members at um, like a hunt club that just has big property. Okay. So it was just me. (laughs) You were by yourself the first time. I was by myself. That is crazy. Okay. Yeah. It's funny because you walk into my house, anybody who, especially right now we're having instruction when I'm in my bedroom, but you'll walk in and I still do. I do have the mountains. I'm like, I eat the meat. I mm-hmm. keep the mount. And I have like a bear and I have like African deer and everything. And everybody goes, oh, dude. My husband answers, did you, where'd you get the bear? He goes, oh, no, that's my wife. <laughs> oh, no, that's <laughs> Ask my wife. wife. She got it. So does he hunt or is he interested in this at all? He does. He's hunted like twice. Okay. Yeah. So this so is your... This I definitely out hunt him. Yeah. <laughs> Do you hunt with other women very much? Like I still, I would imagine that, you know, oh, generally speaking... question. Yeah. There's, there's fewer women doing this for sure, right? Yes. I have had a terrible experience with women huntress groups, okay. which involved lawyers. And then, so that put me off like women being in the industry. I'm like, this is ridiculous. It's not, I wasn't doing it for fame. Like I just, and then my little blog that could started gaining popularity. And then, then it turned into the TV show. And then I was like, you know, then I had women reaching out to me and I was like, now I'm going to use my platform to reach out to those who actually want to learn how to hunt 
and not just do it for Instagram, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, so that's, so I have actually hunted with women and I've actually found a really great group of women and I help join, we are a part of the Federation, Women, a Federation of Waterfowl. And so it's like we owe a group of women promoting women in the outdoors and waterfowl is a great way to get women in the outdoors because women like to talk and they like to chat and banter. And so when you're waterfowl hunting, it's great because you get to sit in a blind or a layout blind and you're talking and then you're waiting for the ducks to come in or the birds versus like sitting in a stand. So I've had some great experiences now with getting women into hunting and introducing mm-hmm. to that. So that I'm so happy to be able to use my platform to actually highlight it in a beautiful way and show that it's not just for Instagram. It's not to become yeah. the huntress. It is funny how we, and I think it's almost getting worse in the current kind of weird situation we're in now where it used to be that everything we did, we had to prove we did it on Instagram. And now it's like, we're doing things just for Instagram because we're not doing anything else. It's crazy. I saw that. I saw that. I know. It's crazy. I mean, I think another thing that you said, sort of starting with the fowl and starting with like things like duck and geese and turkey and stuff also is, it's like a good kind of stepping stone in terms of, as you said, killing a chicken is different than killing an elk or something like that, right? So working your way up, you know, maybe that's not right the way that we look at certain things being more intimidating or more intense to harvest than others, but that's the reality of, of how it works, right? So it makes sense to kind of like work your way up and different ways of hunting and the sort of intensity of the experience. But can you kind of talk to us a little bit more about the first time that you you hunted and were by yourself and <laughs> and managed to get one? Like talk about how that felt. Like was it hard to pull the trigger? Were you scared? Were you exhilarated? Was it what did it feel like? I actually thought I would be like crying and I thought it was going to be really difficult for me. But again, I think the chef in me was like, I see it as food. I remember pulling back my bow and I was really steady and take your breath and then you like release and go. And then afterwards, when she went down, I was like, oh my God. And then then that's when it hits you. When it hit me was afterwards, like, what did I do? Mm -hmm. You know, I go up to the animal and like, I just, every animal, like I just put my hands on and say like, thank you God for this animal it's going to go on to nourish me and my family. So, and I just really give it the respect it deserves. But it was after Mm -hmm. that, after the harvest, I was like, when I felt like I could cry, but then another part of you kicks in and you're like, okay, I got to get this deer out of here. I mean, Mm -hmm. still got it. That's where the work starts. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You got to cut it and then all that jazz. So did you, do you field dress at all or was this something that you can, okay. And field dress every animal. Okay. And so in this case, did you do this by yourself too? Did you, Mm -hmm. that's crazy. That's crazy. That's a shit training in butchery. So obviously in culinary school, we butchered everything from small fish to giant whole cows. So you get it, but the entrails are different, which, but anybody can learn. So that's basically the part you have to get out right away in the field just because they expire quicker and then they'll alter the, the meat and the flavoring. But it's not even, it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Like anybody, anybody could. Unless, well, I was, in, I was in Namibia and I got my jump book and he's probably like 900 pounds. And I was literally like in the cavity. I'm like. You could fit in there. Three. Yeah. <laughs> the guts were bigger than I am. But like my, you have a PA, a professional or a, or a PA, a professional hunter with you because you have to by law and they were like I can't believe you're doing that and I'm like I'm gonna do it I'm gonna get in there if I have to that's part of it yeah (laughs) do you now so I I don't know if we talked about this offline but the book that I'm working on is a it's a cookbook but it's organ meat specific so it's nose Mm -hmm. to tail and and organ meats I'm wondering when you are hunting do you harvest all of the organs do you like cooking with organ meats or what are your thoughts there so I grew up my mom is Mexican so she's from Mexico so I grew up you know with like tripe and different flavors granted we didn't have all have it all the time but it definitely gave me the palate but then as a chef I'm like oh you can't waste anything I mean I will take the call fat off I take the hearts I'll take anything that I can eat which is basically I mean sometimes I'm talking the intestines and use them for sausage when you clear them out so I mean so yes I still take as much as I can 
to eat and I won't let it go to waste. Yeah. I think one of the things that I, I am trying to communicate through the work that I'm doing is, you know, I'm not a trained chef. I'm figuring this stuff out as I go. I'm just somebody who loves to, to eat. But I think that one of the things that people maybe have a misconception about with organ meats is certainly a lot of them are more delicate and maybe take a little bit more work or finesse to, to work with. And some of them have different and stronger and more unique flavors. But I think yes. that a lot of what we're working with oftentimes are quite palatable and quite reasonable and and crowd-pleasing if people were willing to give it a shot. So like I think of things like tongue, right? Which is scary to Mm -hmm. look at and maybe scary to prep, but like you make some delicious really delicious. Yeah, Yeah. it's delicious. Like heart is another one. I mean, bigger animals, Mm -hmm. obviously heart can have a little bit more of the flavor of the animal, but it's a muscle meat. It's delicious. Like sweet breads. I mean, come on. So I think Mm -hmm. part of it is just, it's literally just the familiarity or the lack thereof that we have in in our It's like the mental barrier of knowing that you're eating a heart makes you automatically think that you just don't like it. Like I think it's just a mental thing. But once you actually like, like if you gave somebody a tongue taco and didn't tell them, then they were like, it's so delicious. And then you're like, ha Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> like, what am I eating? Yeah. And what animal? <laughs> but I mean, one of the things I'm trying to do too is try to encourage people and not in an aggressive way, but encourage people just to be open-minded because this concept of eating a heart and not being scary is very arbitrary and very silly, I think, in the context of meat eating human beings. Because if you're willing to eat a shank or a pork butt, or you're willing to eat pork belly, or you're, why aren't you willing to eat a heart or a liver? It's, it's a different part of the same animal that you're eating. I completely agree with you. If you can eat any part of an animal, you should be able to eat all of the animal. Any part. I mean, awful included. You know what I mean? That's it's just it's the ultimate head to tail. Even when people say like, oh, hot dogs, I'm like, hot dogs are the epitome of nose to tail. Like, what are you talking? I mean, granted, yeah. there's the fillers we yeah. don't like, but they use every part of the animal. So yeah. like, they're just the best thing ever because yeah. you're not letting it go to waste. Yeah. <laughs> and especially since the organ meats tend to be more nutrient dense anyway, right? So if you can get to a point where you can, of course, enjoy these organs on their own, but even mix them, like, you know, you do sort of your ground beef with some liver and some <laughs> kidney in it or whatever you want to do to kind of hide it. And then you're really just eating a more nutrient dense version of the same thing that you already are comfortable with, right? So I think right. I think just letting people and someone like you with your kind of visibility and someone like me who is very much like an every person, like we're the kind of people who can help move this needle because I do think sometimes in some of the research that I'm doing, there's classically trained maybe French chefs who just take it for granted that you'd be willing to eat a duck liver or something, right? And right. so that's going to maybe some people are going to be like, well, that's not for me because this is obviously way too advanced. And then there's these kind of big, burly, blood soaked hunters, men who are like scary and holding the heart. And, you know, and, you know, the average person who's at home who's thinking, I'm going to go get this for my butcher is like, these people aren't speaking to me, right? But I think right, that right. having people like us, you know, that we're pretty normal, I guess, yeah, <laughs> like whatever that word we, means. We take the edge off. Like we're not scary, we're women, we're kind of approachable, but then it also brings the women in and be like, hey, don't be afraid of it. You know, a man is more likely needed because we're not scaring anybody off. We're probably attracting it. (laughs) But then other women see it as a, hey, if she could do it. I could do it, you know, because if if you and I can do it, then they can do it too. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the hunting aspect of the work that you do. You said, you know, you're, you're obviously doing this to, to fill your freezer and nothing more. So how does your year usually look like? Are you, and I guess also going back to the work that you do, are you at this point, you're kind of your own brand. Do you work in any restaurants? Are you a personal chef to anyone else? Or is it more just about your own kind of content creation and your show and stuff like that at this point? So I stepped out of the restaurant industry a year ago, April, last April, I opened a restaurant and then I just decided I was a little tired. (laughs) I still had was still working on wilderness to table and doing that. And then I just decided to step away and I just wanted to focus solely on my brand. So I've been doing that ever since I do do like pop-ups and I do stuff for like I, I work with the Ritz Carlton a lot and we do chef events and things like that. So I get to still be a part of why I got started. I love restaurants. I started in fine dining. So I started solely in fine dining. Actually my whole career was in fine dining. So I still when I like do the Ritz Carlton events or something, it's still fun to be like, oh, okay, I'm still like in it, you know? But it's exhausting and it's taxing. 
and it takes away from your family. Back in the day when I didn't have a little one, it was much easier to stay all day in the kitchen, come home late, and it didn't matter. Now it's a little bit different. So it's a nicer quality of life. And I get to focus solely on this. And right now I'm working on my cookbook. I have a couple shows in the works. So I've got fun things coming up. So it's been, I never, this is not what I thought I was going to be doing. I just wanted to show people there was more to wild game than grilling a backstrap because that was like all I could find on the internet. And I'm like, this is, I know how to make a popper. (laughs) But we're like, you know, how how do you do the shanks and how do you make awesome buco with it? And like all that stuff. So I'm trying to make it like a chef's take on approachable food Mm -hmm. as much as I can, as much as I still want to do my pretty little plates. (laughs) Yeah. And they're beautiful too. So you take, do you do all your own photography for your website and the... do yes I because one of my degrees was photography so I have a bachelor's in fine art photography and then I have a bachelor's in communication okay because I had to get those real degrees right I I I also have two culinary degrees and a wine degree so basically (laughs) renaissance woman big time Um, I also have a degree in communication so I get that I I can't do the photography part but your social media and your website is just stunning the pictures are so beautiful and there was one actually I was looking through today and it was oh I don't want to say the wrong thing but it's a biscuit made with lard and it was like a cool animal lard what one was that what was it I did the rosemary yeah rosemary biscuits with the honey and then I did duck fat shortbread cookies with a Turkish coffee glaze because you could even use the fats like that's how much I wanted to be like I have a wild boar lard crumble coming up on the blog soon you know those pie bars Mm -hmm. so but you can use you can use wild boar lard. That makes me so excited. Like that is everything I love in my life because I am, I have a big sweet tooth. I loved baked goods, but I (laughs) love obviously wild game. I love things that are fatty and rich and decadent. Duck fat is my favorite fat to cook with by far. It's just that rich smoky flavor makes everything good. You put some potatoes in there. It's so good. Okay. Anyway, I can just, and you can bake with it and bakes like I'm, I have more baking recipes coming because I want to show the versatility of it because duck fat is probably one of my duck fat and, and wild boar lard are actually my favorite fat. Even bear, I uh, baked with bear fat. It's like, and it's freaking phenomenal. Bear fat is really good. So awesome. That's what I haven't tried. I'm going to yeah. start making a list of the different animals and pieces that I haven't tried yet. Cause I have had bear before I spend, I mostly I'm based in Canada. I spend my time here and in New York and in Ontario, there's very good hunting obviously and bear uh-huh. and moose and elk and all of these kind of, and that's what I'm actually working on this summer. It's amazing that we're chatting now because I've signed up for my first, like I'm taking a, like a weekend course to learn to shoot and get my hunting license and all that stuff. So I can actually go out and start doing it for the first time this oh, summer and fall. You. Yeah. Come to Ontario. I mean, it's I like, love to. I don't know if you're too familiar with Canada, but I mean, it's huge and mostly forest. Like very kind of that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh-huh. so you know, so like it's mostly woods up here. So I think we'll be, yeah. we'll, we'll have lots of work to do, but okay. So going back to, so you're hunting, what is your schedule like? Like, do you have like an idea in your head of what kinds of game you need and how much, or are you kind of just going as per your needs and when you feel like it, how does that work? I was hunting a lot more before it became a business. Yeah. <laughs> um, I usually will hunt deer every season here, whether I'm doing it for work or just to fill my freezer. So I do a lot of like events. I hold builders and table events with an outfitter in Texas and we work together so you can book me with your hunt. And so I'll go out and hunt with you and then I will butcher. I will show you how to butcher your harvest and then we'll go and eat it in the evening and you get to like a private chef and we cook the dinner. So I, I get to do that a lot. That's not necessarily me pulling the trigger all the time. But when I'm home in Georgia, I whitetail hunt as much as I can. But it seems like (laughs) my work life gets in the way of my hunting life, even though I'm in the hunting industry. And then turkey hunting, even though those are just, oh, they're such brats. They're they're tough ones. They're stubborn. Yeah. You know, they they have a brain the size of a pea, right? But literally, you're standing there, right? And you're just like, wait, where they come in? You're being so still. Then you're like, you go to put your finger like out to like pull the trigger. And they're like, oh, my God. So they've got they've got a little bit of intelligence in that little brain. They know what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Yeah. So then you're like, son of and then some days you could be like this. And they're like, do 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 do. You know, like it's just you never know what you're gonna get with a damn turkey. Huh. Sorry, dang turkey. <laughs> but <laughs> so like I haven't been able to get out. Well, who has been able to yeah. get out yeah. really yeah. here? So generally I, ju- I try to get out as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I know my plan. 
I hope it's not interrupted. It was in August when the blue fin tuna are running in California. I was supposed to go spear my first tuna um, this summer, but we'll see. (laughs) I I really hope, I mean, of course, none of us can guess anything, but I'm really hoping that by the middle and the end of the summer, things are going to start being a little bit more normal. I'm cautiously optimistic just because I think that human beings, we need it so badly that we're going to figure out how to start doing this intelligently, even if it comes in stages and even if it takes time. But like, we need to get out and we need to to find ways to interact and be healthy. And I really hope that this is a bit of a wake up call for humanity in terms of just how to be as healthy and resilient and prepared for these things as possible. You know, anyway, I don't want to go to I'm so tired of talking about stupid coronavirus, but so I'd rather talk about fun hunting stuff. Do you have any like crazy or exciting or life-changing stories? What's like a hunting story that like sticks out really vividly in your mind, maybe besides the first one? No, I don't have a specific hunting story that kind of like changed my The chickens changed my life, but I didn't hunt them. <laughs> but I, I was, as a child, I was born with rheumatoid arthritis. So I've had it my whole life and it obviously can transform into different things now as an adult. So I don't need to get in the health aspect of it, but I was really struggling. And then that's when my organic food and organic protein and knowing how important that is for my body. And I was eating as much wild game as I can and organic vegetables and really not eating processed food. And I literally changed my health, changed it. And so then it makes me, you know, I almost wish I was like a lawyer so I could like help change food laws. That's how passionate I am about it. And then it makes you realize like, wow, the doctor wanted to just give me medication. Just give me medication. I was taking this medication and it was was actually making me worse. And then I just eliminated it, eliminated my medication, just ate wild game, pure organic protein, no hormones, no anything. And then I was eating great vegetables and literally changed my, like everything in my blood. My whole blood panel was completely different six months later. Hmm. So I mean, it's powerful. Like somebody who says like, oh, you hunt, but that like saved me, like really, really saved me. So the power of organic food, the way food is supposed to be is extremely powerful. Like it is medicine. Food is 100% medicine. Yep. And I can attest to it. I mean, it's hard in society to say, okay, I'm going to eat this way. It's like an addiction. Like we're addicted to all these sugars and these processed foods. And I I know it's hard. It was hard for me to cut it out. Mm -hmm. But then now once it's been out, it's, I have, I have a sip of soda. I'm like, holy moly, yeah. this is so sweet. How do you even drink this? Yeah. So your taste buds eventually get adjusted, but it literally changed internally. It changed my life around, which I'm so thankful for. Yeah. I tell people this too, that it's, and it's not, I don't think this is a placebo effect. I think that it's just knowing what it, what real nourishment tastes like. Like I tell people when I make liver dishes, for example, and I'm eating liver, like I can feel it and nourishing me in a way that even a, you know, like a grocery store chicken breast is not doing right. Like you can feel it. I don't have any stake in convincing people to, I'm not part of the liver lobby. Like what is, you know what I mean? Like I enjoy liver. I enjoy game meats. I enjoy gamey food, but it's still not this hyper palatable, you know, delicious fast food that I just want everybody to eat, or I'd want to keep eating because it's so delicious. It's nutrient dense, real food that you can enjoy, but it feels different in your body. And like you said, it's one of those things that you don't almost understand until you've done it because our bodies are so resilient that we can put poison into it for a really long time and kind of still manage, right? And I think that our current lifestyle and our culture that that encourages all these hyper palatable foods and the sedentary lifestyle and this disconnection from what we eat, it just makes it so much harder for us to get back to where we we should be. But when we do that and see how our bodies are really supposed to feel, it's this revelation, right? Like we're like, oh, we're not supposed to feel bloated every day or have anxiety or get breakouts two or three times a month or, you know, have weird, gross digestion frequently. You know what I mean? Like we're, our bodies are really supposed to be. You're not supposed to have migraines all the time. You're not, but yeah, you're not supposed to have a food. I call it the food baby, you know, now like when I eat a lot of gluten, I'm like, whoa, (laughs) there it is. (laughs) Actually, not. I went to a doctor. I don't know what do you call it, like a holistic or naturopathic. Naturopath. Yeah, 
so she, we did blood panels and she like told me like what I should be eating and everything like that. And the way she broke it down was stuff in processed foods. There's like carbs, processed carbs. There's a double omega molecule on there that your body naturally can't even process. Mm. So she goes, so you're, you're ingesting this every single day and your body's going, I have no idea what, what this is, what to do with it. Thus you get migraines, you get visceral fat, which is the worst, you know, the inside fat that you shouldn't have. And it causes like digestion problems. And then she nailed it. Like I was having digestion problems and she goes, and it it affects your brain. And holy crap. And when you feel, when you realize how foggy your head was, when you eat natural food, you're like, wow. Yeah. You feel like you have superpowers and it's really just the way your brain's supposed to work, you know? Yeah. Like I get up at 5am and work out like no problem. I don't need a supplement. I don't take supplement. I get asked a lot on Instagram. What supplements do you take? I don't eat an apple. Yeah. And some liver. I don't, there you go. And some liver. Oh, well, no, I do now. I take those apple cider vinegar okay. gummy. Yeah. Just because apple cider vinegar isn't super delicious. More palatable to, in a gummy. Yeah. Yeah. It isn't super delicious. Yeah. yeah. So rheumatoid arthritis is something that I don't think you can get rid of, right? It's like you're, you're managing no. it essentially. Okay. Yeah. So how, yeah. how is that process for you now that you're in a healthier place? Like what, what does the management process look like? It's just exercise and diet. Exercise and diet. So I can't be sedentary. I can't. I have to really watch what I eat when I when I go off the wagon and I enjoy too many cookies. Like I I have to pay for it. But now I know. Now I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have one. (laughs) So it is a constant. It's a constant upkeep to keeping it at bay, so to speak. Because I know it could get worse down the line. So my whole goal is to be as fit and healthy when I'm 80 as I can, considering the odds are not stacked in my favor. But with the right diet and nutrition, I can I can be fine. So and would it also be sort of stress management as well, too? Like if you are kind of working super hard or long hours, or you've got kind of stress that you're not really dealing with? Is that because it's like an inflammation based thing too, right? Yeah. Okay. I do a lot of yoga. Yeah, <laughs> I actually thought when yoga was like for so to speak hippies, I'm like, oh yeah, and then I'm like, I am not flexible. <laughs> I cannot bend that way. But there's more to it, and yeah. now I kind of love it. Now I do it with my daughter. My daughter, I'm like, baby, do you want to sign up for soccer? She's like, no, I just want to go do yoga. <laughs> That's nice. I'm the same way as you. Like I, you know, I have like a long kind of fitness background, and yoga was one that I always kind of thought, look, if I'm taking an hour, I want to get like a hard workout in. I don't want to sit yeah. here and like stretch and whatever. And as I've kind of got older and realized that it is very important to kind of check in with yourself and to breathe and do some things that aren't just destroying yourself all the time. I tend to use yoga much more as like a slow down meditative. Get away from my phone. That too. Like, I don't right? even put my phone there like because I can't, then I can't, then it forces me to focus on like, I won't even have it in the same room. Yep. Because I think that's the biggest stressor of anything. Cause you know, when you hear an email and then you're like checking your Instagram and then you're, you got to respond and yep. yeah. it's just, it's a lot you know so it is a way to it's that's how I manage my stress is through that not drinking too much coffee (laughs) that's a harder one even I think because some days call for more than others but um, how old is your daughter she's six okay and would you at some point want to take her out hunting with you or encourage her if she's interested or is it kind of like you let it leave it in her hands and see what she thinks so she loves a wild game she loves to eat it she knows exactly what mommy's doing she see obviously she sees it in our house i don't think she she practices on her little bow she totally understands the concept of we eat animals for food and she knows we eat cows and so she's very knowledgeable on that if she would like to hunt in the future, I will definitely be right there getting her into it. If she doesn't, if that's not her thing, then that's fine. It's not something she has to do, yeah. but at least she has an appreciation of where her food comes from. Yep. And that's the best thing that I could ask for her. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. can you can you tell me a little bit more about your book that you're working on? Yeah, so my book is, I think we're at 187 recipes. Jeez. <laughs> okay, as somebody who just like literally almost died making, I think like 80 or 85, I have a lot of respect for that because <laughs> holy moly, that's a lot of work. Yeah, it's been a lot of, it's, yeah, my manuscript is due on May 18th. So this next week, I will have to be doing a lot of yoga because I'm not <laughs> and a lot of maybe a lot of coffee too I got you just in time this is perfect yeah I'm drinking my tea this time drinking my tea mm-hmm. it's been it's been in my dream like to have a cookbook like as a chef I'm like always wanted I'm, that's my goal it's, but I never thought I was gonna have the, like a wild game cookbook <laughs> yeah 
That's awesome. So it's even better. So it's going to be, it's a very approachable book. So everybody, you can get all the ingredients in your grocery store. It's not crazy chefy ones. Like I would really like to make too, but maybe I'll save that for book number two. Mm-hmm. That's more visually appealing. Yep. I can't release the title yet. Okay. Legally, my publisher said no, but it'll be out this fall okay. and it'll be available in the U.S. and Canada. I apologize for interrupting the beautiful flow of this amazing podcast you're listening to, but I promise this will be quick and worth your while. I'm trying to give you guys a deal here, so just bear with me for a minute. Okay. Today's show is brought to you by Primally Pure. This is a company that I have loved and used for years and years. When I first started getting into sort of ancestral health and the paleo way of eating, which of course evolved into paying attention to skincare and other just products that you're using in your daily life, because if you're going to be picky about what goes in your bod, you need to be picky about what goes on your bod too. Like everything you slather on your face or skin or hair in your hands, it gets absorbed into your body too. And often we have no idea what these chemicals and ingredients are and what they're doing. And a lot of times they really aren't something we want to ingest, right? Like these are not edible or bioavailable products that we want in our bodies. And, you know, sometimes I find that natural skincare stuff just doesn't have the same feel or luxuriousness. It doesn't look pretty. It doesn't smell pretty as some of those sort of standard companies that we use and buy. Let's be honest, I don't really want to settle for natural skincare that I don't actually enjoy using. I like to treat myself. I like to smell nice and feel nice. So Primally Pure came along and made my life very happy. I interviewed their founder years ago, and I've been using their stuff consistently ever since. Their products are made with just a few ingredients that you can actually recognize and name and pronounce, stuff like extra virgin olive oil, beeswax, tallow from grass-fed cows, but don't worry, you're not going to smell like tallow. They've got stuff like mango butter, essential oils. Their products smell amazing without being overpowering or fake. They feel delicious. Most importantly, they actually work and do what they say they're going to do. So their body butter, which is my favorite product, is like the most decadent thing in the world. It has like the consistency of frosting and it smells delicious and it just makes your skin so nice and smooth and creamy. I've ranted about their deodorant before. It's like magic. It actually makes you stop smelling, not just right away when you put it on, but like all the time. Like I literally use deodorant every couple of days now instead of worrying about (laughs) stinking halfway through the day. It works for men and women. All of these products are for everybody. I can't say enough about how just beautiful and transparent and good this company is. So I've supported them forever. They've supported me. And I want to pass along this discount for you so you can try them and be blown away by it too. And their products are actually very affordable considering the quality uh, you know, that they're giving you. So anyway, I'm so in love. I'd be happy to talk to you more one-on-one about the products. If you're on the fence, you don't know maybe which stuff to try, just send me a message. Send me a DM on Instagram. Send me an email. Let me know. I can help you out. Use the code MUSCLEMAVEN. When you go to primallypure.com and just take care of your skin the way that you want to take care of everything else. You won't regret it. Okay, now back to the show. Do you have a tentative date or just sort of like fall stay tuned kind of thing at this point? Getting of hunting season oh, is perfect. what we're aiming for. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Okay. In September. Okay. So wild game, what kind of animals can we expect to see in the book? Like what constitutes wild game? It's just anything that isn't sort of farmed? Yeah. I have a big game chapter, which includes like bear, elk, venison, moose. And then there's small game, which is rabbit, hare, squirrel. And then there's waterfowl, which includes duck, geese, upland game, which is pheasant, quail, chucker, and all that. And then there's fish. So there's like game fish, like trout, salmon, pike, bluefish. I threw in some mahi and some tuna ones because from a California girl, like that's mm-hmm. what we get. So mm-hmm. <laughs> She's okay. like, but that's not really game. I'm like, yes, but I want it in there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I know that this is probably an impossible question and because you are a chef, but what is your most of the game meats, not maybe not fish, just game meat. What is maybe your favorite? Like if you had to make one dish for everybody to try and you were so excited about and you think is just so delicious, what would you make for people? 
So I'm going to give you two answers. I would say moose. Moose meat is delicious. It's amazing. I love it. It ties it's up there with elk. I would put moose first because elk is much milder. And But there's just something about moose that I, I love so much. And then if I really want to impress them with game and kind of wow them on I never knew it could be this delicious, it would be bear. All right. That's interesting. I mean, again, those are mainstays where in the province where I live, because we've got a lot of both of them. Mm-hmm. And I've tried both. I can't recall really what I thought about the moose because I mean, again, I don't think I've ever eaten wild caught game that I didn't enjoy. I just very much like animal protein, first of all, but even like the gamier, the better for me. Like I actually like right. that. What is it about moose that's so delicious? Like what's the flavor profile for you? So it's very, it's, it's sweeter. They eat a lot of berries. They eat a lot of stuff like that. And so okay. whatever they eat, you can taste. So right. like fall bear and spring bear is going to be different. Spring bear is going to be not as sweet, not as tender and not as fatty and not taste as good because they've been sleeping okay. <laughs> versus fall bear is going to be happy, sweeter because they're feasting on berries and all that stuff. But moose eats berries. I think their diet is just more woody. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like more, more woody, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so it just tends to have like a slightly earthy, slightly sweet flavor that I just really like. It's not as harsh game as like venison can be. It's not like distinguishable, but it's just like a piece of meat. Like if it was a beef, but it's so flavorful. It's like a glass of wine, you know, like when you swirl and you're like, I take berries and like yeah. notes of cigar. And that's how I feel like moose meat is. Oh, there's notes of, there's different notes of like warm spices and I just think it's just phenomenal. That's very cool. Okay. That's what, when you're describing that, it reminds me of, I was in Newfoundland at one point in my life and I had caribou there. Yeah. And that's, that's the flavor that you're describing that I'm remembering. And I think they- Very even, similar. Yeah, yeah. They had prepared it with like some local, like berries or something that you can't find anywhere else. Yeah. I remember it being what like- What grows this. together goes together. There you go. Mm-hmm. And That's it was just, coffee. yeah, it was so flavorful. And I think I want like gamey to stop being sort of like a bad word, I think sometimes, because really in some cases, like some cases you're using that to describe a very strong or a tough or like a stringy kind of animal that's not ideal. But in a lot of cases, we're using it to describe just an animal that tastes like an animal. And we're so used well, to- Well, that's the way it tastes. Exactly. Like, we're just so used to getting these factory farmed chicken or beef from the grocery store that has this very uniform and relatively bland flavor, right? In a lot of cases, like I remember, you know, you talked about some of these experiences that really clicked in your brain. And one of the first ones for me in my early 20s, when I was really starting to care more about food quality, and I had a little bit more money because I was an adult for the first time. And I bought I bought like a pasture raised, really good quality whole chicken and was roasting this chicken. And I remember thinking like, this is the most expensive chicken ever. This thing better be good. Delicious. It tasted like a different animal. See, you're like came doing a chicken too. <laughs> Seriously, it was like, yeah, like it, and, I'm, and that is that is what changed it for me. And that's when I started going to farmers markets and I started making relationships with farmers who had uh-huh. boar farms and you know beef farms and like they really they'd invite you to their farm and you could look at the animals. And you could ask heritage breed pork taste so amazing. Oh like, man, I mean, oh my gosh, that's why I'm excited amazing. for your wild boar fat biscuits because wild boar is like one of my favorite animals. It's so good. But yeah, I mean, I think that, again, just sort of encouraging people to open their minds to different flavors and thinking like, you know, if this animal doesn't taste like the beef that you're used to, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We're kind of just opening our palate to like new experiences, right? And you could find something that you never would have tried otherwise that is absolutely delicious and like makes your life better because eating is one of the greatest joys that we have, right? I know, right? Right? Well, like wild turkey does not taste anything like factory farmed yeah. <laughs> turkey. Yeah. So when people try it, they're like, they'll cook it the same way. I'm like, you can't even cook it. It's a whole different beast. But that's actually how turkey should taste. That's the real deal. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. Instead, now we breed these turkeys, they can barely walk and like, just like chickens. And like, that's not natural. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. A chicken is supposed to still walk at six weeks not have such breasts that are still large for their body and their legs can't even keep it up. Like that's not what they're supposed to be. I mean, it just breaks my heart that that's, I wish I could change the food system really really bad. I totally appreciate what you're saying. And you know, the idea that you want to go be a lawyer so you can start making these things happen. But I think, I do think that that that's what is what you're doing, right? With your work. And we want, of course, like lawmakers and people in these different places of authority to kind of make some change, but it also starts at 
this like micro level of like first yourself making these changes for yourself. And then you start to just by process of living your life, change maybe the feelings or the understandings of the people in your immediate surroundings and your family and your friends and, and then go platforms that's how it works right because your, I, your money is the biggest director of the economy what i really like about covid right now is people are realizing how important ranchers are and farmers are but the way we farm if you look at like other european countries they're doing it right forgive me i'm not going to be completely correct but like if you grow zucchini and then those zucchini grow really well if there's a bed of beets around and then like if you have then the beets attract the good bugs and then they keep the thing there's like all this harmonious ecosystems and then like if you keep ducks on that farm the droppings produce better you know whatever Farming could be transformed into something really amazing and even more profitable for farmers mm-hmm. and then produce food that what we should be, how it should be, not having Monsanto control everything yeah. and not genetically modified. And you don't need to spray it with preservative because you have these good bugs because those good bugs take care of this. It's like a whole symbiotic ecosystem that you can create with farming. I mean, I, I kind of do it in my backyard. If I could do it in my backyard a little bit, then farmers can do it. But it's like the, the laws and big corporations just don't want to do that. But yep. maybe one day I will be a force to reckon with and they'll have to listen to me. I think I think you already are. And I think that even these smaller voices that we think that we're not doing much, these voices connecting and growing and connecting with other voices. And that's literally, like you said, that's how it happens. And I think we look at documentaries like that little big farm, which is describing what you're talking about. And you think this is so difficult. This is so much work. But then you think, what's the alternative that we continue to destroy the planet and create this awful quality food that's making us all sick, which is costing way more in the long run than if we just took care of what we were doing, did it properly from the outset, right? I think that- Then we wouldn't need medication. Exactly. Then we wouldn't be so, I mean, Garnet, Big Pharma doesn't want that, but we wouldn't be so dependent on healthcare like we are today for every little thing. But by no means am I saying, oh, everybody should be hunting. That's not what I'm saying either because it's definitely not sustainable for like the whole world to go out and hunt. Mm -hmm. But that does not mean- we can't change our factories, our farm factories to actually do it right. Whereas you like look at European countries where this is a stake in the U.S., but then the meat is like this big in foreign countries because I travel, I've traveled a lot and my husband's a pilot, so we continue to travel a lot. The meat is not the focus of the plate where in the U.S. it's like, bigger stag, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> maybe if we focused on that and actually raise the cows right and not in our own poop, Yep, that's how it should be. There's a lot of change that needs to be made and it can be very daunting when we look at the situation and we look at how dysfunctional it is. But I think that the best way to approach anything like this that is a massive complex undertaking is that we just have to look at it from this micro immediate what can we do because that's literally that is how change is affected is just by these slow micro consistent constant putting it out there and putting it out there until the tables start to turn and I, I'm optimistic that this kind of stuff is starting to change because it is kind of becoming this new sort of cultural movement to really understand food as a measure of health, right? Which didn't really exist before. And part of it was because it it didn't need to exist because people just ate healthier, right? But now that we're sort of on the other end of this like technology created food, and we're starting to see how awful it is for our health and how... I mean, like ADHD is on the rise and all these things that we didn't have a problem with. And it's all looking... Have you seen the the magic pill on Netflix? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, scary. It shows you like what a diet of goldfish crackers and what whole foods can, how it can change a child. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. But I, th- I think that the more kind of platforms that we have now where people are, I think, becoming increasingly sort of jaded about any information that they see because there is so much disingenuous sort of marketing and special interest and things like that. But there will always still be real people who are just, I'm transparent. You can ask me any question. You can do look through anything, whatever. I'm just here to put out the information. And I think that as we become more sort of self-educated and willing to like do the research and answer the questions and ask the questions. And I 
think that there is a tide that's turning. It's just going to be slower than we want, right? And right. because we're impatient and we want these things to happen now. But I just, I appreciate you doing the work that you're doing because I think that, like I said earlier, you're doing it in such a encouraging and positive and approachable way. That's how the, that's how change happens. So I just, I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. That's yeah. like my whole goal. So when yeah. someone says that, I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you. Because you don't, I don't talk to people about it every single day. So that's like, that's uh, really, thank you so much. Because that's actually what I, my whole mission is that's to do. It's not about me being famous. It's about making people feel better, knowing what food is, but then enjoying it with your family. Because like, mm-hmm. nobody remembers like the bag you bought. Right. But I still remember dinners, Saturday night dinners with my family again. And I I can remember exactly what I ate because I I can remember what I ate everywhere. (laughs) I can't can't tell you what food lovers we remember these things. Yeah. But like my best memories are always around food and Mm -hmm. and like your friends and your family. So it's just, it's just like a camaraderie and just, it's the best memories. So it's just, it's being there. And and then when you self harvest something, how amazing is it to share with your family? family and friends. Wow. It's such an awesome feeling. Yeah. Before I let you go, because I want to keep you all day, although I am sure that I could. Can you talk a little bit more about the, you said you have a couple of shows in the works, but what else are you doing besides the book and all this other work? Do you have a show currently right now? Or are they all kind of, you're working on them or what's, what's going on there? Uh, those are in the works. So okay. yeah, legally. You can't talk <laughs> about it. <laughs> legally, I can say, what, what can I say? It's in process. Okay. And this will be something that's like on a network. Can you tell us that? No. Okay. (laughs) Okay. We'll just have to watch. We'll just have to watch. Okay. But But for now, you can watch my show on Amazon and iTunes. Okay. Hopefully the next ones are going to be a little bit different. But yeah. And then I have some really cool things coming up for like huntersed.com. So we're going to come out with videos. I get asked a lot on how to do something. I'm going to be doing videos. So like when you become a hunter, you go and you could go online and you can you do your education and stuff like that. And then there you watch videos. We're going to be offering an online course with me that you can also take after you've done your hunter's education. So it talks about post hunt. A lot of questions I get was like, how do you, you have to know what you want to cook before you harvest your animal, because that determines how you butcher in the field. Ah. But not a lot of people know that. And then how that animal expired, so to speak, I don't want to speak in such, you know, <laughs> horrible, horrifying ways. How that animal expired, like, did it run for 100 yards? Did, did it go down? That, that's also going to affect the quality of the meat. And I think that's a bummer when people don't know that because then they just get turned off by wild game because not everybody likes the taste of wild game like you. And they're just like, this is horrible. Oh, my God. But you don't know how to treat it because the way you, you harvested it was you have to counteract that in the kitchen. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot of like marinades and, and, and things that you can do to say your animal ran for 100 yards, 200 yards, right? That's a long way. And you took 35 minutes to expire, right? That's a long time. And all the adrenaline in his, in his tissue and he's like, scared, they're scared. Then you taste that in the pan if you don't remember how that animal, you got to fix it. So I'm going to teach everybody how to do that. So when they go out and hunt, they know, okay, when they bring it home, I'm going to treat it a little bit differently. Because a lot of people make the mistake and they think it's going to just be like steak, mm-hmm. like beef, like, oh, you just put it on there. It's going to yeah. be great. It's a little bit different of a beast to tackle. So I'm going to show them, I'm going to show them how to butcher and I'm going to show them how to get what cuts you want. So, because if you don't know, say you want certain cut of ribs, and you're hacking the ribs away, you're not going to get that cut of ribs when you're out in the field. You know, like, so you have to, you just have to know it's something you have to be aware of, but not a lot of people know. So I'm going to be doing a lot of classes like that, giving you more wild game recipes, teaching you how to counteract those things that we were just talking about. So that's a fun project that I have in the works. I'm really excited because it's going to answer all the questions I really get from people. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do I do this? How do I do that? Well, now you can you know, and now when you go into the field, you'll be more educated and be able to do it. No, like I want, I just want to grind it up or I want shanks and I want ribs and I want certain cuts. So 
It'll be fun. fun. That's fascinating. I had never even thought about that part. I mean, I'm only at the part of my education where I'm learning about the undertaking of field dressing and how physical that, that work is. And, and obviously yep. that you want to do it carefully and correctly and efficiently and, you know, as soon as possible and all of those things. But I hadn't even, yeah, considered the idea that like, well, what do I want to do with this when I get home? That's going to make a difference in what I'm doing right now. That's fascinating. Yep. This, and this is perfect timing for me too, right? Because as soon as I, right? I get everything all sorted out this the summer, summer, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to have all these like resources ready for me. So I'm super pumped about that. What's the name of your, your show that's on Amazon right now? Wilderness to Table. Okay. And so people, anybody with a, is it Amazon Prime can, can watch Amazon it? Prime. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. All right. So can you- I think you... it's on Google Play now too. Okay. I'm not, a, I'm an iPhone, so I don't really know. Okay, cool. <laughs> but um, I'm pretty sure it is. And then, uh, yeah, I, and iTunes too. Okay. And you are still putting up new recipes on your website as well? Correct. Yes. Okay. I'm trying to be more consistent, but my cookbook has gotten in the way. <laughs> yeah, I can see. I can see how that happens. Yeah. Um, okay. Great. So, and just remind everybody where they can go to sort of follow you online, like your website and social media, if they want to connect with you. So you can find everything at wildernesstotable.com, and I'm uh, usually at all Instagram handle or social media handles at wilderness to table. So I'm going to be found there. So I usually will try to answer all my Instagram messages. I know like a lot of, I like to try to answer as much questions that I can pop, even if it's about my hair or mascara a lot of times. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of that too, right? Yeah. I'm like (laughs) posting pictures about beef hearts and they're like, Hey, where'd you get those workout pants? I'm like, come on guys. I got a beef heart in my hand. Come on. (laughs) I was like, I want to know about my mascara. Social media, you know, what are you going to do? What do you do for your hair? I'm like, yeah, that's Pantene Pro-V. Like I don't do anything. do it. Like, I don't know. Oh, that's funny. All right. Well, let's stay on after I turn this off here because I want to chat with you about a couple other things. But Brie, yeah. thank you so much for, for taking the time. This has been so awesome. I'm so excited to see all the, yeah, all the new information that you're putting out. We got to go hunting together. That's my new goal. Yes, we and totally uh, to. yeah, I look forward to it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right, that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something. Another thing I wanted to note about most of these interviews moving forward, that's another awesome thing that's going to be different about Muscle Maven Radio, is that most of them will be video recorded. So I'll be posting them on YouTube as well. So if you're a visual person and you like to see the people who are talking, you can go follow me on YouTube and watch and leave your awesome positive comments there. And I'll put a link to my YouTube channel in the show notes. You can check that out. Thank you again to our show sponsor and the skincare company that is helping me, Benjamin Button, myself, and age in reverse, or at least I like to think so, Primally Pure. Love their products. They're made with all clean, natural, recognizable, pronounceable ingredients. They smell delicious. They feel amazing. They're very, very well-priced considering the quality of their products, and they make you feel better and look better and smell better. And all of those things are important. So check out primallypure.com, use the code MUSCLEMAVEN and treat yourself. And that's it. As always, I want to hear from you. I've been loving the feedback and ideas I'm getting from the community about future podcast episodes. It's actually been really heartening. You guys are sending me emails and sending me really thoughtful messages about stuff that you'd like to hear about. And I appreciate that so much. So keep it coming. Chat with me on Instagram at The Muscle Maven. Send me an email at ashleyvanhouten at gmail.com. And let me know what you want to hear. All right. I hope you have a fantastic week. Join me next time. Take care, everybody.